1: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out
2: there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Mike. Darius is still vacationing, uh, traipsing around the world and enjoying himself. And today we're going to have a little bit of a philosophical discussion about team building. Last offseason, Lakers made several talent plays, right? Looking to acquire just the best player available, Dennis Schroeder, uh, Montrez Harrell at the buyout uh, during the buyout market. They acquired Andre Drummond, and the reasons why you acquire talented players are obvious, right? But there's a there can be a downside to that in that talented players have expectations uh, in terms of role, in terms of minutes, in terms of in several elements of of being on a team, and over the course of the season and even in the offseason, several of those guys have complained in some way, shape, or form about their role, about their playing time, have made comments to that extent. So Mike and I are going to discuss today the idea of kind of chemistry versus talent. And those don't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. On the best teams, you have both. But When we have LeBron and AD, Mike, those are the cornerstones. And I would argue that any player after that is a role player of some sort. And so the buying into a role is it's a little there's an alchemy to it that isn't quite as uh, it's not as sturdy as other evaluative components of basketball. Right. Like this guy's a good ball handler. This guy's a good finisher. It's a little trickier. Right. And so just that human aspect of. Players oftentimes in their prime. You got Schroeder at 27, Trez around the same age, Drummond as well. They're, you know, playing for their next contract as well. So in an ecosystem where we have LeBron and A.D. as our cornerstones, how do you value that that mix of talent versus a guy who's going to come in and be like, hey, I I know why I'm here. I'm going to accept my role and maybe I I don't play in this playoff series. Uh, how, How do you measure that?
3: This specific Lakers team of the last few years in terms of when they made the trade for AD, we have two really good examples of how it worked. And in a sense, if you put them in a vacuum, you can say, okay, clearly the way that you do this is the way they did it in 1920 in the way that kind of Polinka's first rostered in supporting two superstars. Look at how well this worked. And then you can say now that the season went how it went, you can almost look at it and think, well, all right, then they made a couple of talent plays and maybe the chemistry wasn't quite uh, the same. But I would argue that that was much more of a product of the way that the two seasons went. And yeah. and also just the pandemic. And and so uh, Joey Ramirez, our buddy, made a good, a good point when the, the three of us were having a discussion for Lakers.com about the season. And just looking at how you cannot take these two seasons apart. You have to look at them together. And you have to look at the way that, 2021 played out as a product of 2019-20 going so far, and I know I just said a lot of numbers there, even though it's simple. So, th- here's here's the other way to put it: When the Lakers had all of the guys sort of playing roles around LeBron and 80 the first se- the first season, since that team was winning and constantly winning and healthy, there were never really those pockets of the season where either either you had guys complaining or we were going to hear it. Right, and 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 that's a product of winning. And so, whether it was Kuzma, for example, who at that point was still trying, wanting to get to more, as well, he should have. He kind of just had to embr- embrace a role, and that worked out fine because the team kept winning. And then they went all the way and won the title. You know, had they crashed out earlier, then then maybe that become, or if LeBron or AD goes down, right, and somebody right. sort of has to step up a certain way, then you start to hear that. Well, wait, I'm the next guy that should step up, and that's why we talk about this current season, this this just past season. February 14th when AD went down and they were 21 and six and everything seemed to be pretty good with Shooter with Harrell with 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 uh, with the whole team in general the team was winning the chemistry was was it, even if not quite the same as last year because they were still getting to know each other um, everything seemed fine and then as the losing went on uh, we, we get to the point where we are now so. Pete, I I didn't answer the actual question there, but I think it's important to contextualize what these last two seasons were. And then as we now, what we're going to do on this podcast is think about, all right, well, now that we have some of this in context, well, what is the ideal way to build a roster around two stars? And should you go more of the first route versus taking some of the additional talent? And I'll start with last year and then kick it to you for what you think for this coming season, because I liked the way that the Lakers, that they went for some of the additional talent anticipating they were going to need it because of the lack of an offseason, So I thought that was the right call. Just bringing the same team back and saying, Hey, go win a second title it, a, after what you just did without some reinforcements, without some new energy, without some new hunger. Um, I think that would have ended just the way this season ended and w- with guys breaking down and, and so on. So that's my take on what just happened. Uh, if, if you want to come back to that, feel free. Otherwise just where, how do you, how do you take all of this and process it as the Lakers look now to build the next roster around AD and LeBron?
2: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point in that, you know, if Anthony Davis goes down in a game four of one of our playoff series last season, there's a decent chance we'd lose that series, especially if it's a you know high-quality opponent the way that, that Phoenix was. If we played Denver or someone like that, if he AD goes down, it's a whole different ballgame. And that team could have had great chemistry and could have Gotten along, you know, they got along great. They had a lot of cohesion, continuity, all these words we've been talking about throughout the season. And then AD goes down the wrong game and then we don't win that title. So that, again, is another one of the aspects of evaluating this team where you have to put the proper amount of credit slash blame on the injuries regarding why things went the way that they did. The Lakers have always been a team that plays for talent, right? That makes, that looks to acquire the best player. At least my entire life, since Dr. Buss bought the team, this is something that, whether it's the Gary Payton, Carl Malone t- uh, acquisitions, Jr. Ryder back in 2000, uh, Michael Thompson, right? Orlando Woolridge back in the 80s. Sedale Three was a guy that, that we went after uh, to back up magic. We always, always will go for the most talented players and try to make it fit. There's something to be said for – this is something I learned during the young core era, Mike, where I was really excited. Like, hey, we're going to build this team and it's going to be this slow, strong build. And the guys were talented, but there was something off in that it was not – it's not who we are. That is not how the Lakers have historically been successful in building a team, which is not to say they can't build it that way. But I also think, Mike, there's something to be said for sticking to who you are and, and the personality that you have.
3: They also don't have to, right? Because they're the Lakers and they're in Los Angeles and they can get players. Whereas some teams have no choice uh, but to go that way if they're not thinking they can play the free agent game.
2: Absolutely. It's just when LA tries to act like OKC or vice versa there's going to be something off of that there's going to be something off about that where it doesn't doesn't fit the circumstances it's not appropriate to what that team and that market and those circumstances are and so that was kind of a lesson that I learned during the young core era is like i don't see us being successful building in that way going forward right just it's not it's not appropriate to our particular circumstances because, again, we don't have to, and it's more about getting the best players.
3: And so, agreed, and I also don't think that that was necessarily the plan during that. I think that it was, A, you had some contracts and it started with, so after Kobe got hurt and you were paying the max money to Kobe, who was, was of course, recovering from the Achilles surgery the next year, and then you had the Deng and the Moskov contracts, right, which you then had to use some of the, so it wasn't like, even though I think that they did, there were all these reported meetings, right, with various uh, stars at the time. There wasn't the megastar um, that was able to come in. But I, I think that that was almost by – they almost were forced into that position of being in the draft and, and taking those guys in the lottery. And then, by the way, those guys are all 18 or 19 years old. And unless mm-hmm. – you mentioned, okay, feet, well, you got to really hit on an all-time great player in Kevin Durant who's probably going to end up a top 20 player uh, when all is said and done. And then two guys who won the MVP. Um, I, that's a different argument as to whether Russ deserved it. I, I did not vote for him that year. But you know, but all-star level uh, caliber players in him and Harden, and then they still didn't win. And that's the that's like the absolute perfect way to go about that process. So it just underscores your point, really.
2: No, absolutely, and it's something that it, it, that is something in a town where that's the only m- major franchise, and there was time to go through some of those lumps in ways that's a little more difficult to do as a Laker. That said. I think there's a right way to chase talent and then there's a downside to it. And that's really, so my vote always goes in, pursue talent, pursue the best guys that you can get. But there's a certain point where there has to be some distinct distinctions made. One thing, Mike, let me make a devil's advocate, not even devil's advocate. I actually believe this on some level. It rubs me the wrong way when guys who didn't, weren't on the title team are complaining about role. And complaining about minutes there's a certain amount of like this ain't about you you know and this isn't about like your role that said I understand Mike their windows to make money are so short and when you're in your mid-20s you're off your rookie contract you only got a couple cracks at those contracts right and the circumstances of the year before you enter free agency are going to play a big part into what kind of contract offer that you get so is there a danger in pursuing those mid 20s types of guys that are in that spot versus I think of Dwight and I think of JaVale and I think of the Danny Green older guys that have really accepted this is where I'm at in the NBA this is my role it's not something that they have ulterior things like fighting against them that are legit pressures for for players that age
3: yeah, it, so this is one of those classic. It it really is a case by case basis. But if you're generalizing, then yeah, guys that are on that swan song of their career that are still really good and but but sort of are considering taking a little bit less than they might be able to get somewhere else because they want to win. Yeah, that generally you would think it's gonna it's gonna add to a roster better than somebody that still has room to grow and needs reps and needs shots and and usually these things come more in, in terms of offense than defense, right? for sure but, but there are some players that just play the right way no matter what and no matter what their contract is and no matter and, and that I would I would posit though that those guys typically aren't bucket getters because usually the bucket getter type of the, that's almost its own trope in the NBA and those types of guys are they're always going to want shots. that's just kind of like the way that they play. and those guys usually end up as six men because you can't trust them. To play a certain way especially defensively in the starting lineup and so that's a that's a kind of a, a a point just a tangential point to this but i think that when when i'm picturing what the lakers are going to do are going to want to try to do they're going to have a list and there's going to be a, a couple guys on there that are in the category that you just talked about of the all right well here's a guy that's sort of whether he's up and coming or established but could could potentially replace the scoring of Davis if he's out with an ankle tweak, you know, for a week, and then there's the guy who's just so- rock solid role player off the bench, West Matthews type, you know, that you can kind of feel good about on the roster, can bring into situations and not worry about it. And I guess the, the cheating answer to this is the that you want both. To me, you want to have you want to have some. You don't want to have just role player type guys where you're absolutely depending on LeBron and AD. And at this stage of their careers, and if they ever miss any any time, then you got no chance to just bridge the gap for a week or two. But you also don't want to have, a, you don't want to have a lack of those kind of glue role player guys on the roster and have the guys that are all hungry uh, to show more and to get to the next spot. And I thought that that's why this last year's roster, Pete, you've talked about it so many times. It's like the one that got away where I did think they had a pretty decent balance there um, to start the season. And you had your, you know, KCPs and Wes Matthews and Caruso's and what Kuzma has evolved into on one side. And then you had your shooter and Harrell, and maybe those guys can help carry you through from talent, a talent standpoint. And it just wasn't able to come together. But I, I think the bat, like I will remember the balance of the roster better probably than history will shine on it for the way, the specific way that it, that had to go through that shortened off season in the pandemic.
2: Yeah. It's kind of a chicken or the egg conversation, right? Is there are there complaints if they're winning right we were there were guys dancing in the fourth quarter of the game of game three against phoenix in part because the talent was shining through right as a, as a collective and then 80s injury strikes and it's kind of this again the one that got away this great what if of a season let's take a quick break when we come back we'll keep discussing i think i think mike brought up some really good points about the bucket getting types because this is exactly i think the type of player that will be available at different ends of the spectrum whether it's a, a prime caliber player or it's a guy who's a little bit older but capable of a little bit more so let's take a break when we come back we'll discuss that
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
2: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message
0: and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: Mike, I love that point that you made about guys, the bucket getting types, right? We look at Dennis, we look at Trez. Those are guys who were six men, you know, coming off the bench. But when they were on the court, they were usually a top two offensive option and that's the argument for these types of guys not only do they carry through the re- you carry you through the regular season but they're guys who can contribute in you know second quarters late third early fourth even in the in playoff roles offensively but that's something that so and in context with how our offense was this year is that something like how do you measure bucket getting so you say shooting is overrated how do you feel about scorers right we, with respect to this same conversation
3: yeah you're setting me up here also somewhat overrated the sixth man of the year always goes to the bucket getter off the bench and like who seems to be the guy that if you go play pickup ball like eight out of the ten guys on the court want to be that guy right uh, everybody wants to kind of play that way and get shots up and i'm not saying that i haven't gone through uh, periods like that but my goal is as you are getting to know me. And and I think you're the same way, by the way, I want to win the game. I want to win. If that means that if I'm, so if I'm playing with, to make an extreme example, if I'm out there with like my kids and two of their friends, it's four, six-year-olds then like, I I may try to score every time. If I'm out there with four NBA players, I'm doing nothing, but setting screens, uh, you know, diving on the floor, playing defense, scrambling. So you have to know who you are. You have to know your surroundings. And that's that, that archetype of a player of a six man score. Sure. Some teams do just need that guy in the regular season, but guess when they don't need that guy in the playoffs? Because if you're far at that point, then you've got better offensive players in the starting lineup. And this is my, all of this is tailored as it usually does, Pete back to LeBron and AD. If you, I don't want a six man bucket getter on a team with LeBron and AD in a postseason because I want LeBron and AD to have the ball because they're better. And if one of them doesn't have the ball, I want the other one to have it. And otherwise, I want you to shoot an open shot or I want you to cut to the hoop and get a layup. Are there exceptions to that? Sure. But more, more often than not, like the ball, if the ball is not going through those guys, and to use the, the typical example that we always do, and I feel like I'm hammering this point too much, but the Clippers the last couple of years, Kawhi and Paul George should have the ball in key situations going down the stretch. But sometimes they were they would want Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell to run screen roll. And so you've just got Kawhi sitting in one quarter you got Paul George sending the other. And it's like, well, great. You know, that's not – so that play becomes much less effective when it's against the starting caliber defense and your two superstars aren't the ones that are putting the pressure on the defense. And that's why, like, I'm fine with a guy like that in the regular season. But Shooter to me, doesn't fit into that exactly because he can also – A, he plays defense. And B, he can, he can play on the weak side when it's a primary action with LeBron or AD, get the ball late in the shot clock – And either get to the rim or, you know, get at least a decent percentage three point shot off because he's not being guarded out to that point. So I actually thought that was a pretty clever antidote and and like a a pretty clever trade and, and a guy that could fit potentially with by being a bucket getter but one that also can do other things. And to me, Pete, there aren't that many guys in the league that can do both of those things.
2: That's why the third option type guy is so important because he's, I think, that bridge on in our ideal roster construction between LeBron and AD and those role guys that can kind of fit in around them but aren't going to really do much them, him, themselves. Lamar Odom is a perfect example of this type of number three option who can dabble in a little bit of all of these different aspects of the game i like i would love if dennis is i if i could trade dennis's speed for a reliable jumper i would be i would i would do it but we did see and again it's in these small samples the value of that speed especially next to a lebron and ad so my, my question for you mike is in that context it sounds like almost you'd advocate for not Any bucket getters around. Not to say not not to say that bucket getting is bad, but that you would really prioritize those three and D guys that you got to be able to play defense if you're going to be on a LeBron and AD team.
3: Yeah. So this and this gets back to the earlier part of this, where if you're the Lakers, I think you your goal is to have it all. And whereas a lot of places don't have that, that opportunity. So sure. Like, is it, am I, I'm not saying you can't have a guy that just goes out there to get buckets like a Jordan Clarkson type. If you've got a guy like that on your roster, great, but just don't have him be one of the guys that you are prioritizing to the point where you are bereft of the things that you're really going to need in your best lineup around LeBron and AD. And that, I guess, Pete, is how I think sometimes about roster building in that, It's not just about the starting lineup, but it's about how many of these guys can I trust to keep on the court in these postseason series. And while you're watching Suns and Bucks game four, or depending on when you listen to this, whatever game it's at in the series, just watch and think about some of the guys that are on the court. And it's not very many because by the finals, you're already cutting it down. Like some of these guys in the court, the coaches know like this is not ideal but we don't have any other options because of injuries, because of something else. And that's where I think the Lakers roster these last couple of years actually was really good where you had up to 10 guys, you know, sometimes 11, where you you were like, you know what? Like, we're okay. We don't have to make a sub here to get this guy off the floor. And if that's the case, then you've done your job. Does that, does that leave you a a little bit short on, for example, some upside of the same thing we're talking about, like a bucket getter. Uh, And I mean, in a regular season, especially, Maybe, but I would just always prioritize the guy that I think I can trust in the situation that I need because I'm I'm less worried about my regular season record than I am about the ultimate playoff push. If I'm the Lakers and I have LeBron and AD, so th- this isn't a this isn't an exercise in overall roster construction. This is the Lakers roster construction when you've got LeBron and AD.
2: So. That requires a certain degree of buy-in too, right? Like I thought your point about how the guys who are used to being primary options tend to be the ones that can be a little more frustrated about touches and shots and roll and things like that. That's not something that generally your 3 and D guys will, will do. And so what are the types of circumstances that a player has to be in, in his career to be able to fit in to LeBron and AD, just mentality wise, right? Like being able to go in and and accept their role. And because I I do think that that dissatisfaction, it, it, it erodes chemistry, even if it's not like an open finger pointing thing in the, in the locker room or anything like that, but just a certain amount of There's not a a togetherness when that mentality is too pervasive in a locker room, and that will be more pervasive when you have those those scores. That said, like you know, our half court offense wasn't the best part of our our team this year, too, right? So, how do you balance that, and who are the types of guys, and what point of the career their career are they in to be able to fit into that into that uh, overall chemistry?
3: Well, you know, I would argue too, though, that your half court offense isn't necessarily just going to get better because you have a bucket getter. Like you may you may be better off having a, a a true point guard sort of organizer with that group, and maybe Good point, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe especially when you've
2: AD, right? Like because AD is one of the ultimate finishers in the game. That if the action around him is organized and he's being asked to just finish a play, that guy who organized it may not be getting you know scoring a whole lot, but he has that overall impact. In fact, I think there's an argument to be, to be made for our backup point guard role to be exactly
3: that. And it's why, like, I think, for example, in Utah, I thought that Joe Ingles actually was kind of the key to that second unit because he was the one that was organizing it for Utah. Um, He's an elite three-point shooter, and his defense is a little better than you think, and then it allowed Clarkson to just attack. And, and, like, that ended up working pretty well for Clarkson, too, certainly, and he played well, and I'm a big fan, uh, certainly, of of Jordan, both as a player and as a person. But I think, like, Ingles is the type of player, I think, that makes a second unit go more. Than the guy that's just asked to score, so that's that's one way uh, of thinking about it. The other thought I had, Pete, so Memphis, I'm just I just think of them as an example. Memphis overachieved last year, and why? All right, so one of the reasons they had great chemistry, they had great cohesion, but they didn't have the type of stars that the Lakers had. So it's you don't. It's not just the good teams that can benefit from the chemistry, and it, like so. That can go across – if you had a player there that wanted more touches and wanted more shots and wanted more reps, I don't really think they had that guy. And part of that is because I think John Morant sets a great example and, and sets the table really well for that. I think Lillard does, has some of those same type of leadership qualities, although he's a higher-volume player himself. But you – you know, off of that Memphis bench, you had a bunch of guys that just would play really hard. And same thing to an extent in the starting lineup. where that, So that was like a good mentality team. And, and like, you don't, it can be for, you can have a middle of the road type team. And I'd say Memphis is a little bit better than that, but so we, we all, none of us thought they were actually going to win a playoff series and it can be at the highest level. So I think you can, you don't have to, there isn't a player that's discontent with his playing time and it's going to impact the team's ability to win because of it. I don't think any team wants a guy like that on the team. Now, is there a, is there a trade-off in talent? Sometimes sure, but i i don't think that whether you're a team trying to win the title or a team in the middle that you want guys that are just there looking for their own stuff.
2: No, absolutely. And that's why my mindset is really geared toward veterans. I think that guys in their 30s, guys who may be more 16 game players than 82 game players at this point of their career, I think that they're more equipped to step into that type of role. The idea of of an offensive organizer off of the bench is really intriguing to me i'm curious in this ecosystem of of the lakers where it's you know it's very built off of these two guys lebron and ad how does that we saw this with rondo a couple of years back do you think we need to prioritize a player like that within the overall construct of of what we have somebody outside of lebron and ad who can can do that as opposed to the bucket getting
3: type yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one with this roster in one sense because the two guys that came in off the bench as guards a lot of the time were Alex Caruso and Taylor Horton Tucker. And we love, clearly, both of these players and for different reasons. Neither one of them is a specific point, organiz, organizing backup point guard. Like, And when Rondo would play, so THT was more of a, you know, he would just come in for spot minutes here and there, but he wasn't a rotation player when rondo was here so then caruso could slot in next to rondo in that second guard spot and do all the stuff that caruso does but if you have caruso and tht uh back on the roster and and you know hopefully that all works out it's tricky unless you want to i guess you could play tht at the three certainly um and it doesn't matter as much off the bench and maybe that's a best spot for him anyway but like then You know, if you're if you're having another guy in that spot that is that kind of organizing point guard, I don't know. Are you a little bit too small? Is a little bit unnecessary? If AD is going to play with that spot, like it's an interesting question that I now want to kick back to you and see what your take uh, is on that kind of a spot.
2: So I think we need one guy whose decision-making with the ball in his hands is one of his best attributes, right? That's one thing about our guard core last year, whether it's Dennis, KCP, Alex Caruso, THT, none of those guys are guys where their decision-making as a pass-shot decisions, organizing, none of that is in the top three of the things that they do well, right? And so I think that having at least one guy, especially when we're running – so much in the way of isolations, post-ups, ball screens, not terribly system-based offense, that having somebody somebody to get everybody to their right spots, The the best evidence of that is when Rondo was locked in, right? Because obviously Rondo didn't play that way all of the time, but somebody who could really had the decision-making and the mental aspects of the game really mastered. I think having one guard like that is I'd actually prioritize that over – a scorer because I do think it unlocks AD to a certain extent that said I would take a bigger slower type of player because what you pointed out about you may be too small if that's the case that that was one of the issues with our backcourt this year right is that with KCP and Dennis KCP is not short necessarily but he's kind of slight of build he's going to lose battles around the basket and the same would be true of Dennis that I think I would take like a bigger slower more deliberate type of guard that gets guys to their right spots and but isn't doesn't have a ton of shake or won't break you down off the dribble I'd prefer to have one guy at least like that as opposed to as opposed to the guard core we had last
3: year and I think too that i just that speaks to the way that probably you and I both just like to watch and appreciate the game of basketball like because that to be a player that does that you have to understand the game really well you know you have to be in the film room uh you have to just understand your role and what your skills are, what your teammates skills are. So it doesn't necessarily, you're right. It doesn't have to be like a little point guard. Um, it can be a, it could be a big guard. There are some wings that do that. Great. I mean, not many, and those guys are certainly hard to come by, but yeah, yeah I, I think we've, we've come to a place sort of in a um. I I wasn't even thinking this is where we were going to go. Right. Which is why I like these discussions, but this is, this is a good idea. I think for the type of player that would work well um with that And in, Maybe, though, Pete, that's easy to say because that type of player I believe would work well with any team, you know, um, at any level of basketball. But for sure. but But I do specifically like how it would fit this team.
2: Well, the one thing about those types of players is a lot of teams have the need for a guard who can break down a defense and a guard who can really get into the teeth and put pressure on the rim. And that's that's something that I think we have less of a priority on in the backcourt as a result of LeBron and Anthony Davis absorbing a lot of those responsibilities. So yes, that guy is valuable for most teams. But I think that they're more valuable for us because we don't need them to necessarily break down the defense as much as we do to get everybody in their, their right spots and be able to knock down an open jumper. And those, those guys I, like as in the spirit of this discussion being about how you can trade talent for there, there's a downside to making talent plays of guys wanting bigger roles, everything about this, whether it's the on court stuff, the off court stuff and, and, ideas of role i'm thinking of like a guard in their 30s who's been through some wars who wants to win a title is at that point of their career maybe they're a little slower than would demand a 20 million dollar a year type of contract at this point but that as we talk this out i'm i'm wanting a bigger slower guard that like ron harper back in the day brian shaw lakers history is replete with these types of guys
3: yeah. That, that uh, I was like, you sound like Phil Jackson, right? That's <laughs> Phil. That's always right. Liked, yeah, really, yeah. Yeah. He always liked to have a kind of guy on his roster like that. And part of the reason for, for what you said is that you're, you're also trying to think about defense and you're thinking about, can this guy play up into a lineup with big wing stars and for Phil, right? It was MJ and Scotty. Uh, and then it was Kobe and to a, in a differing way, Shaq, but, yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea um, as a concept. Let me, along this sort of not the same exact lines, but just thinking about roster. Let me just throw something back to you about the center position now. And we we mentioned before, uh, Marcus uh is under contract again for next year, and I think that the way that he fit, I'll just speak for me. You can speak for you. I was totally fine um, with him as the starter, and I thought that he played. That, like absolutely well enough to stay in that spot and i'm i'm eager to see how an extra year and some comfortability can impact things for next year but just as a as a theory how do you feel about that space five versus the vertical spacing five that the lakers had the prior year and what do you think is ideal do you think it matters since both of them have their benefits like how have you thought about that from a basketball and a roster standpoint
2: I prioritize that vertical guy more than the stretch guy because we have the best stretch five in the NBA in, in Anthony Davis, you know, and that if we, if that is what a lineup, this is all reverse engineered from the playoffs, right? And if a lineup is calling for a five out lineup where you've got some mobility at the five, like we've already got the best dude at that, which isn't to say that AD can't roll and be put pressure on the rim, but that type of guy, there's also the, DeAndre Ayton has been fascinating to watch in these playoffs in terms of how he impacts other teams and how he's impacted by lineups, right? Milwaukee goes to Giannis at the five in game three, and it's like three straight possessions off of switches, Ayton shooting jump hooks in the post when he wasn't as big of a part of the offense before that. I think that these playoffs have really illustrated a prioritization of Perimeter mobility defensively, which is often not found in the same type of player that can be a vertical threat. The ability to both punish and spread out defenses is extremely important. And when we think about basketball, we think about this as the shooting era right now, and it has been for a while. But the game is always moving forward and it's always moving into the next era, which is almost invariably the counter to the previous era, right? It's an answer to where things have gone. And that's why that perimeter mobility that We're seeing Phoenix struggle with athletic size, and that's something that is a way to beat teams. There's been such a priority placed on shooting and skill out on the perimeter that it's not easy to find those guys in really, really large humans. And so teams have downsized in a way where there's a vulnerability there where athletic size can really punish some very very good teams, and I think that's really a big part of the theory of this team. One of the ways to do that, Mike, though, is above the rim, winning that game, those games up in the skies. And so I do think that having one lob guy, you know, that where that's that's his main thing. I would prioritize that over over Mark. That said, to to wrap up this thought, and and this plays into the whole idea of this pod is when we signed Drummond. It ended up pissing off all of our fives, right? Like at different points, Mark was unhappy because he wasn't playing. Trez has made comments afterward. Drummond has made comments where that I do think that are all of these talented guys going to be able to play? It has to be prioritized this offseason in making our talent plays. And hopefully one of those guys is a vertical five. Where do you stand on that?
3: Yeah, I think that's that goes to the. That goes right back to this ridiculous season that we just saw and all of the injuries. And when Drummond was signed, it was, we didn't know exactly right about Anthony Davis and the assumption of course, that he was going to come back and be hundred uh, percent from that injury. But like he wasn't playing yet when they had to make that decision. And Marcus all was uh, in the COVID uh, protocol was in the uh, NBA health and safety protocol. And it just was such a disrupted season that I thought that made total sense, especially for what they had to give up, and it was def- it was well worth the risk to do so. But now that you're you're having a whole you're having this offseason to craft what the roster is going to look like, I do think you have to take all that stuff into consideration. And an ideal roster build up, we again we just saw this when they won the title. You've got some of your veterans on the end of the bench that like like a Dudley that are there that aren't really going to play key minutes for you, but can come in and give you a lift here and there, and are great in the locker room. And there's no like, there's nothing that's going to come of them not playing. And ideally, you don't have too many players other than that. You know, maybe you have one or two because you are going to get an injury, but you don't want three or four guys that are all talented enough to play, but that can't play uh, because there's too many guys that need minutes. So I think, I just think that's true. And it's also, though, there's also an element, Pete, of like, if you're not happy in this situation when we're trying to win a championship and you've got LeBron, you've got AD, then it's. Right. That if guys are doing that kind of stuff within the course of the season, you know, that has to be policed out of the locker room or or even like guys, sometimes guys need to get cut or traded if because because the last thing that you can like you don't want to penalize the front office for bringing in talented players because those guys, you know, can't figure it out and make it work. And and, and again, even that is just sort of just that's not acknowledging the feelings which I'm uh, get, trying to get better at, at this stage of my life. Acknowledging people's feelings, <laughs> right? That's not yeah. acknowledging uh, the feelings of a guy that because it would suck if you're if you're there. Of, you course, know to play. of course, so so yeah. it's, it's it's hard. This stuff isn't easy, and it's uh, it's why it's there. It's why it's a difficult job. But I do I do I just do think that you have to have those conversations, and I know that they I know that they do right, and I know that they will when they're assembling the roster.
2: Yeah, that's that's something where figuring that out ahead of time it's it's easy to you know say all the right things and everybody everybody be on the same page in the preseason or at the moment of signing but being able to be like hey is this somebody who if will they be able to take a step back and accept a lesser role in this particular series or over a couple of series that is a difficult part that speaks to the difficulties of building a roster and all of the different parts that go into it it's one of the many many wonderful things about basketball is that this is part of the equation but so are a lot of other things so this is a conversation i think will continue as we get into the offseason and and, uh able to talk about specific players but uh i I really want to talk about this because this has been obviously a theme of the offseason is different guys making comments here and there i wanted us to address it um Tomorrow, we'll be back to discuss uh, Pivotal Game 4 in the NBA Finals, a series that's turned very interesting. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
0: Range has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores.
3: Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good.
1: And
3: play. That next to the winner. It's on the way. No! Kobe Bryant, forty-eight points, sixteen rebounds, Jack with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker
1: fans I'm sticking saying, around for this. So
0: you're seeing something that's very rare
3: indeed—a Laker to get MVP chance in, right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me, Kobe? hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, Two one. This it. It. Unbelievable. the <laughs> It's over. Got
0: clock out of five. <laughs> Bryant. Yeah!
3: with a little tap to Albert Gentry. That insult the injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis
0: has won it for the Lakers!
3: James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the Raptors.
1: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?